Well, hey, church, glad to see you guys here this morning. Um, I think every single one of us, at some point in our life, we have met somebody who we would consider as having unwavering faith, right? Or somebody that we consider as having great faith. And you might be sitting here today and you might be, um, like, this might be totally new to you. You're not even a whole, like, you're just not into the whole church thing. You might be here just to, just to get your coworker and your mom off your back. And, uh, and that's cool. I respect that. But even you in your life, you might not consider yourself even religious at all. Even you can't help but notice sometimes, once in a while, there's people that kind of enter your life that just have faith. Or really, it's just confidence that God is in control. Now, if you notice, we don't notice faith in the people around us in their life when life is going really, really well. Like, we've noticed that before, right? right? We notice faith in people's lives around us when life is not going well. Usually, it's when they're going through some horrible, you know, circumstance or some tragic situation in their life. Uh, but there's just something about the way that they carry themselves. It's something that, that it's, while they're going through some horrible thing, that's just impressive. In fact, it's really inspiring. Uh, it really, for me, by the nature of my job, I've met people like that. Uh, to be honest, to be completely honest with you, some of those people are some of you that I've met. And um, it's just, you know, I'm, I... What I try to do as a, as a pastor, a lot of times I'm, I'm kind of walking people through some tough stuff, some hard situations. And what I've noticed in my life is that sometimes, once in a while, I'll be helping somebody go through some horrible situation. And, and I'm talking to them, and I hear their tone of voice, and I hear the words that they're saying, but it just doesn't really match up with their circumstance. And a lot of times I'm just like, like wow, you know, I watched them experience some suffering, or I watched them experience some pain, but they, but they just handle it so well. They just have great faith. And it's more than just a superficial thing. It's, it's active, it's, it's gritty, it's persistent, it's determined, it's gutsy, it's real world type stuff. Uh, today, we are in our part 10 of our series, Investigating the Real Jesus. And we've been looking at a Greek doctor named Luke uh, who lived during the time of Jesus but did not know Jesus personally. And uh, he had heard about the stories and he heard all the rumors about this Jesus guy. He's out there, he's doing things that people have never heard of before. And, uh, and so what he does is he spends months and months and months of his life, maybe even years of his life, tracking down the eyewitnesses, investigating, sitting down with those people, having the conversations and asking asking the tough questions, and then he takes everything that he gathers, he compiles it all together into one orderly document, and that is the book of Luke that we all have in our Bibles. Now, the thing I want us to understand is that when Luke is writing the book of Luke, when he's writing this document, he's not writing uh, religious literature, okay? That's not his plan. That's not what he's trying to do, all right? That's not his goal. What he's doing is he is simply documenting the life of a man who claimed to be God. And he was a man who changed the world, whether you believe that he was God or not, um, is a man who changed the world. Now, so far we've looked at how Jesus goes public with his teaching. Uh, Luke, he begins that way. He actually starts off, um, before that, he starts off with a guy named John. He has a nickname. His name is John the Baptizer or John the Baptist. And John the Baptist is this like wild looking dude. He's out in the middle of the desert. Uh, he's like, he eats bugs and stuff and he's baptizing people. And as you can imagine, John, he draws in 
in the crowds. Everybody wants to see what this guy is doing. Everybody wants to, wants to hear what this guy has to say. And one day, a 30-year-old day laborer named Jesus leaves his home, heads out into the middle of nowhere, and gets baptized by this prophet guy named John. And John, if you remember the story, uh, when John sees Jesus coming towards him, he kind of shouts out in front of all the crowd. He says, hey, that guy right there, that guy is the Messiah. Now, Messiah, if you don't know what that word means, it's a super churchy word. Messiah is just an old word for the word Savior. In fact, the entire Old Testament points to this guy. The entire Old Testament says, hey, someday there's going to be a Savior. Someday God is sending someone who is going to save us from all of our sin problem. And so for generation after generation after generations, the Jewish people had been waiting for this guy. And here's John on this particular day. He looks up and he says, that's the guy. It's that Jesus guy. And Jesus gets baptized by John. And you would think this would be the perfect opportunity for him to like start his ministry, you know, uh, to start his movement. I mean, here's Jesus. He's got crowds everywhere. All right, he's got this prophet guy named John that's like pointing to him saying, hey, this is the guy. You would think Jesus would step up and say, yep, it's me. All right, everybody follow me. But Jesus doesn't do that, all right? Jesus, he actually goes out to the middle of the desert and he spends a month and a half by himself, all right? He does things different than we do. And then after that, we think maybe now it's time. He's only about a day's walk away from Jerusalem, the largest city in the region. He doesn't do it then either, all right? He goes back home and he starts going from town to town to town, from village to village to village, teaching and healing. And as you can imagine, news about Jesus gets around, right? It, in fact, it does not take long that crowds and crowds and crowds of people, just like that were flocking to John out in the desert, were now flocking to Jesus. And uh, Jesus, he's generating some buzz. He's got a couple sound bites that the local news picks up, you know. Uh, he's got some things that, uh, that he says that starts to go viral. And this movement begins to form. In fact, there's so many people that start following Jesus that Mark tells us that Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, right? Because there's so many people that want to see him and so many people that are following him. So he was out in the deserted places and they came to him from everywhere. All right, so there's people coming from all around. No matter where he went, crowds followed Jesus. Everybody wants to see what he is going to do next because he's doing things that people have never seen before. And everybody wants to see what he's going to say next because Jesus is saying things that no one has ever heard before. In fact, so many people are, are, are coming around him that he has to, it kind of starts working against him. Like he has to start sneaking into town and disguising himself so that, so that he could kind of lose the crowds. In fact, one day Luke tells us that Jesus he goes back to his home base. Happens to be a, a town, a city that we've talked about before named Capernaum. And uh, he probably has to sneak into town. And Luke tells us that there was a centurion. Okay? Now, a centurion is a Roman soldier. Remember, at this point in history, Rome uh, owned the world, basically, at this time. All right? Rome owned Israel. All right? They were the ones in charge. And they were oppressive. And they were foreign. And no, no Jewish people liked the Romans. Okay? They were enemies of each other. And, uh, and so the centurion is a soldier that lived in Capernaum. And, um, and he was over, he was really a commander. He was over 100 other soldiers. It was probably kind of their home base there. And, uh, and this guy is an enemy, really, kind of by, by his job. He's an enemy of the Jewish people. And uh, he's part of this oppressive Roman government. And so Luke tells us that a centurion servant who was highly valued by him was sick and was about to die. 
Now, when the centurion heard, had heard about Jesus, because he had heard all these things about Jesus, I mean, rumors about Jesus are going around everywhere. Everywhere in the vicinity, everyone in the vicinity had heard about this Jesus guy. And so he hears that Jesus is healing people, and so he decides he's going to send some Jewish elders to him, to requesting him to come and save the life of his servant. And so what this guy is doing is he actually, um, he calls in a favor. You ever call in a favor from a friend? All right, like, hey, remember this thing you did, I did for you like 10 years ago? All right, I need that back now. I need you to do something for me. This guy calls in a favor, and he's, he's reading the landscape here, okay? He's like, okay, here's the deal. I'm a Roman soldier, all right? I'm the enemy, and I need help from a Jewish rabbi. If I go to this Jewish rabbi, there's probably a pretty good chance that he's going to say, no, I'm not helping you. You're the enemy. And so what he does is he calls in a favor from some Jewish elders. He gets some Jewish elders together. He's like, hey, you guys are Jews. I need you to go ask that Jewish rabbi for some help. I need his help. I want um, my, I need my servant healed. He's one I think can do it. And so that's what he does. And so they go. And when they reach Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly. They're like, hey, Jesus, this guy, this Roman soldier, like, again, he's a soldier and all. And I get that, you know, he's the enemy. But this guy's actually a pretty good guy. Like, out of all the soldiers that we know, like, this guy is the best. He is just a really, really good guy. He says, he is worthy for you to grant this. You know why, Jesus? Because he loves our nation. All right? This dude's like pro-Israel all the way, even though he works for Rome. And you see that synagogue down the street? And Jesus is like, oh, yeah, that's pretty nice. And they're like, yeah, he actually built that for us. Like, he did that. He built that with his own money. All right? He has built us a synagogue. And so when Jesus hears this, Luke tells us that Jesus goes with him. And so his soldier, the soldier's friends, they run ahead of Jesus. They're like, oh man, I can't wait to tell the centurion that, that Jesus is actually coming. They go and they find the centurion. They're like, hey, guess what? It's kind of like when you have, you know, when you have some really good news to tell your friend or your family members or whoever, you're just like, guess what? Guess what? You know? And they're like, he's like, what? He's like, you got an appointment with Jesus. He's coming. He's coming over here like right now. Like he is on his way. This is about to be awesome. He's about to heal your, your buddy over here. He's about to heal. If anybody else needs healing, he'll probably do that too. And you'll be able to talk with him. Like you got an appointment with Jesus. This is about to be sweet. And when the centurion hears this, we assume that he would be like super pumped up. Like, I mean, who wouldn't want to spend an afternoon with Jesus? You know what I'm talking about? Instead, he's just like, wait, what? He's coming. He's coming here He's coming here now. Why, why? I don't know what his problem was. I don't know if he like just hadn't done the dishes for a while or didn't mow his lawn for a couple weeks. But he was like, he was like, no, no, Jesus can't come here. He's basically he's saying, why is he wasting his time coming here? No, no. He's like, no, 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 no. I want you guys to go. You guys go back to Jesus. And they're like, he's almost here. He's like, I don't care. You go back to Jesus and you tell him that he doesn't have to walk all the way here, that he doesn't have to walk all, all the way across town. And so his friends are like, all right, whatever, like we'll go. And they run back to Jesus and they give Jesus this message from the centurion. They're like, hey, Jesus, 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 I know we just asked you to come, all right, um, but now he's not sure if he wants you to come. Not really sure about that, but this is what he wanted us to tell you. He just says, hey, Jesus, don't trouble yourself. All right, don't trouble yourself since I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. He says, that is why I didn't even consider myself worthy to come to you. But just say the word. Just speak it, Jesus. That's all I'm asking for you to do. I'm not asking for you to walk over here. I'm not asking for a huge, long conversation. I'm not asking for you to sit down and eat with me. I'm not asking any of this. All I'm just asking is if you just say the word. Like, could you spare the time just to say it? And I know that my servant will be healed. 
He says, for I too am a man placed under authority, having soldiers under my command. He's saying, hey, Jesus, uh, you and I, we actually got something in common here. Um, you have authority, kind of like how I have authority. He says, I say to this one, go, and he goes. And I say to another, come, and guess what? He comes. And I say to my servant, do this, and my servant does it. Now, some of you moms out there, you're like, dude, this dude is living the dream, okay? All right, if your kids could only do that, that would be awesome. And so he's saying, hey, all right, Jesus, you don't have to come all the way over here. I'm not worthy to even talk to you. Don't waste your time on me. Just say it. Just say it. And I know my servant will be healed. See, this guy is just one of those people that has like unwavering, unshakable faith. All right? And think about it. His life's not going super awesome right now, right? I mean, he's got this friend. He's got this servant that is, close, that is like on his deathbed, all right? But he's got this confidence, and he's got this trust, and he's got this faith that God is in control and that Jesus has the power to do something about his problem. It's the type of confidence and the type of faith that we should all want. And so he sends the message. And when Jesus hears the centurion's message, I mean, Jesus, he's just like, whoa. It says Jesus was amazed at it. He couldn't believe it. I mean, think about this. Can, can we just think about this? Like, like, focus in real quick. All right, think about this. Here's Jesus. Okay, Jesus, by the way, is God of the universe. Okay, the same God who spoke galaxies and bam, galaxy. All right, I want earth, psh, earth. Okay, like that type of thing. All right, that God. All right, just by his words. It's, here's Jesus. The God of the universe wrapped in a human body is stunned at this guy. He is shocked by this guy's response, right? Maybe even speechless. I mean, he just cannot believe it. And so he turns around to the crowd following him. And he says, whoa, I tell you the truth. He says, I have not found so great a faith even in Israel. He's saying, look at this guy's faith. All right, what's he stunned at? What he's amazed at? He's amazed at his faith. I mean, here's Jesus. He's like, dude, all right, you guys know this. Um, I've been going from town to town to town for, for months and months, and I've met a lot of people. They're like, yeah, we've been with you for like three months. You know, like, it, it, he's saying, hey, I've, I've never seen anything like this before. Like, I've seen a lot of things. I've never seen this before. And he's amazed. Now, as you can imagine, Jesus was not surprised often. All right? We only see this twice in the entire Bible. Uh, this is one, and the other time is actually going to happen a few months after this event. And Jesus, he's going to head back home to his hometown of Nazareth, and they are going to reject him again. And what's interesting is they both revolve around faith because he is amazed at their lack of faith. He just can't believe that they won't believe. But here, Jesus is saying, this guy, this guy ain't even a Jew. He's not even one of us. He's looking at the crowd, he's like, and he's got more faith than you. But Jesus' point is he's saying, man, you didn't have faith like this guy. And so you think Jesus, after he hears this response, and he tells, I mean, he tells the crowd straight up, he's just like, man, this guy has got more faith than I've ever seen before like this. And he is shocked and he's stunned. You would think that Jesus would be like super interested to go meet this guy. Like, okay, well, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go talk to him. Like, I wanna see who this guy is. And he's, a, he's the enemy, like, this is crazy, you know? And, but Jesus, he doesn't do that. He turns around. And he actually leaves town. And he cannot believe it. Luke tells us that when those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the servant in good health. So Jesus healed him. 
Uh, Jesus and his disciples, and really probably the crowd of people that were following him, they head over to like the next town, which happened to be the small town called Nain. Now Nain, we don't know much about Nain. Uh, Nain isn't in the Bible too much. Actually, this is the only time, I believe. Uh, but the one thing we do know about Nain is that it's a sweet name, okay? Get what I'm saying? Nain, I don't know. I just think that's sweet. I like saying it, and Nain is awesome. Um, you don't mess with a dude from Nain, okay? That's, yeah. And so Jesus, he gets to town, and uh, there's this funeral for a young guy as they're, they're kind of leaving town. So there's this funeral going on. Uh, he's probably in his early 20s, and it's an open casket type thing, and they're carrying him out of town to bury him. Now, as I'm sure a lot of you guys have, have attended, um, funerals, especially if you didn't know the person all that well, funerals are generally, just by the nature of funerals, are kind of awkward. Ever been to an awkward funeral? Or just like, you just feel awkward? I remember for me, my first funeral that I did as a pastor ever, um, I, uh, I was like 22 years old, okay, and uh, I didn't know what I was doing, and I was nervous, and I was just like, what is going on here? And so I go, and I didn't know the guy, the, the person who died, and I didn't know any of the people. There's about six people attending this funeral out in, out in the cemetery under a tent. And so I go out there, and, um, and again, I'm kind of freaking out a little bit. I'm like, all right, like, you know, you only get one shot at a funeral, you know what I mean? And so here I go, I'm about to butcher this. And uh, I go there and I start in on my like little sermon, sermonette type thing, you know, short, sweet. And I'm, I'm going through it and I look out of the corner of my eye and I see this like little white dog like run around the cemetery. I'm like, and there's nobody else there, it's just us. And I'm like, oh, okay, that's weird. And I'm like, trying not to let it distract me, like Satan, get behind me, I'm trying to do this, that type of thing. And then I notice that the dog keeps getting closer and closer and closer and closer. And about three minutes later, as I'm like trying to wrap up this thing, this dog is like jumping around my legs. And it's super awkward, and I'm just like, get out of here. You know, I just wanna drop kick it. But I didn't do that, okay, because that would have been inappropriate. And, uh, but I'm just like, and I'm thinking, these people didn't know where the dog came from. I see where the dog came from, like, behind them. And they're probably thinking, it's my dog. Like, I'm that kind of guy. And, uh, and I'm not, by the way. And so I just remember, I was, it was so awkward, right? It was so awkward. Here, Jesus, he's about to make this funeral awkward, okay? Luke tells us that Jesus, and we don't have time to really get into this part, to this story. Um, but Jesus, he, he goes and he sees this funeral happening and he has compassion on this guy's mom. Notice, he has compassion on the mom, not the dead guy, okay? And so he walks up to the funeral procession, and he, remember, open casket, and he reaches into the casket, and he touches the guy, and then he starts talking to the guy. And you can imagine, everybody in the crowd, they're all just like, what is he doing? This is terrible, you know? And probably the disciples, Peter's like, you know, Peter, he's always talking about something. Peter's like, no, Jesus, don't, you know, like, like this is terrible. And uh, Jesus, he tells the guy, he says, hey, get up. And guess what happened? The guy got up, all right? And everybody is astonished. In fact, in fact, Luke tells us that fear came over everyone, all right? Meaning they're freaking out a little bit, okay? And they glorified God saying, a great prophet has risen among us. They're like, man, this guy, this guy's gotta be a guy from God. Like, like this guy has to be a prophet. And some of them were saying, no, this guy was more than a prophet. This is God. God has visited his people today, right? Has to be God. And so this report about him went throughout Judea and all the vicinity. So if Jesus wasn't famous yet, he surely is famous. Now everybody has heard of this Jesus guy and news just spreads throughout the, throughout the region because Jesus is doing things that no one has ever seen before and he's saying things that no one has ever heard before. And eventually, John the Baptist hears about these things. Now, John, 
um, the Baptist and Jesus, they probably hadn't seen each other since Jesus' baptism, which would have been months and months and months before, probably over a year before. And, um, and so since then, Jesus, he's been going from town to town to town, doing his thing. And John, since then, has been arrested, and he's been thrown into prison. Now, the thing that I like about John, and what I want us to understand, is that John is not just a Bible character, okay? That's kind of how we view these people. We're like, oh, yeah, John the Baptist super Bible character type guy. That's, that's not who John is, right? John is a historical character, right? He, he was a real guy who actually lived. See, there's a Roman historian who lived during the lifetime of Luke. His name was Josephus. A lot of you guys have probably heard of him before. He also wrote about John and Jesus. Now, so along with Matthew and Mark and Luke, you got Josephus who also wrote about what happened. And this is what Josephus tells us happened. All right, uh, there was a governor over that region who worked for Rome. His name was Herod Antipas. That might sound familiar to you because he was the son of Herod the Great, who is the king who put uh, a bunch of the children to death in Bethlehem when Jesus was born, if you remember that story. Okay, all right, so this is his son. Herod the Great is dead, long dead. Herod Antipas is now uh, a ruler, and he's a governor for Rome, and he decides he's going to divorce his wife, and instead he's going to marry his brother's wife. Okay, so if you thought your family had drama, this dude's got drama. And when news gets out, John the Baptist, this is what he does, this is like his MO, is he publicly calls Herod out, all right, because that's kind of what John the Baptist like thing was. He was like, I'll just go out there and I'll just start yelling at everybody. Like, that's what John the Baptist did, and which would have been an awesome job, okay? Uh, but here he is, and he's just, he's calling John the Baptist, or John the Baptist is calling Herod out publicly, and as you can imagine, Herod doesn't like it very much. And so Herod has John arrested and thrown into prison. So at this point, uh, John has been in prison for months and months and months and months, but he hears about all this stuff that Jesus is doing. In fact, he probably has heard, oh, Jesus, he just raised a guy from, he brought a guy back from, de from the dead. I mean, all this stuff. And so what John does is he gathers a couple of his, of his guys together. He gathers a couple of, of his guys, uh, messengers, really, and uh, he says, hey, I got, I got a question for Jesus. Could you guys take this message to, to Jesus? And basically the main question is, hey, what's the plan? Hey, Jesus, I don't know if you know it, but uh, I'm in prison. Don't like it too well. Um, it's not great. But uh, if you could get me out of here, that would be awesome. It's time to start. Like, you're going to become king, right? And so let's do this thing. It's going to be sweet. And so when they find Jesus, they ask him. Now, I imagine um, them going, you know, Jesus always had a crowd of people around him. And so they find Jesus. He's out there publicly teaching. And I bet they're like, hey, Jesus, we got a message from John the Baptist, who's a famous guy. And probably the entire crowd, as they hear this, they're just like, they're just like, oh man, this is crazy. You got one famous guy, he's got a message for another famous guy. I mean, what is it gonna be? We can't wait to hear it. And probably there's a hush in the crowd. And these guys are like, and Jesus is like, yeah, what's the question? And he's, they're like, ah, maybe we should do this privately. You know, like, like maybe this is something behind closed doors. And Jesus is like, no, what you got? They're like, all right, this is from John, not from us. Okay, we're just the messenger. But he wants to know, are you the one who is to come? Meaning, are you actually the Messiah? Are you the guy that we've been waiting for? Or should we be looking for someone else? And my guess is that when they ask this, or when, they, when they deliver this message from John, or when they ask John's question to Jesus, I bet there's a hush in the crowd. Everybody's just like, that's not what we expected to hear from John. Right? Awkward. Here's John questioning Jesus. I mean, here's John, instead of having great faith, 
he doubts. Now remember Jesus' baptism? I actually kind of mentioned that earlier. John's doing his thing. He's baptizing people in the river, right? Jordan River out in the middle of the desert. And he sees Jesus coming down the bank. Jesus walking down. And he points, points to him in front of all the crowd. And he just says, look. And everybody looks. He says, that's the Messiah. That's the one we've been waiting for. I mean, here's John. John was the first one to tell people about Jesus. First one to tell people who Jesus was. But now, months later, he's doubting everything. Again, he's not just a Bible character who does all the right things that we should always aspire to be. Right? That's not who he is. The thing I love about Luke is that Luke doesn't sugarcoat anything. I mean, these are real people with real problems, like me. In fact, if you are like me, you're probably a lot like John. Maybe not the bug-eating part, okay, but, uh, but the faith problem part. See, what happens in our life is problems pop up, right, because none of us have easy lives, no matter what we put on Facebook and Instagram and what we make it look like, okay. Problems pop up, pop up in our life, and, uh, and then we start questioning God. In fact, a lot of us, what's crazy about it, is a lot of us, what we end up doing with God, we're like, hey, God, all right, I like you. I'm all into you. Jesus, uh, why don't you, like, hang out right here? You just stay right here, like, nice God. Okay, you're right there. I'm going to go over here. I'm going to do my own thing over here, and, uh, and you just stay there because I might need you in a little bit. And then we do our own thing, and it never works out the way that we think it's going to work out because that's what sin does. And then when we have a problem, where we have an issue in our life, we're like, hey, God, where are you? I need you to come over here and fix my thing. And then what's even crazier is what we do is then we start questioning. We get mad at God when God doesn't fix our, our thing the way that we told him to fix our thing. Get what I'm saying? All right, it's messed up. That's what a lot of us do. We start questioning God when we have things that go wrong in our life. All right, just last week, uh, this happened in my life where um, I, usually when I do a message for Sunday morning, it takes me two full days. So all day Thursday, all day Friday, and then I usually come in on Saturday just like, try to fix it if there's any hope. Get what I'm saying? Okay. So that's what I, that's, that's my normal week. And, um, and last week I came in on uh, Saturday. I had a bunch of things I had to do. So I get in there. I get in there a little bit early and um, I realize that my message is gone. It's just not there. I'm looking, I'm like, you know, trying to figure out. I'm like calling Jeremy up. I'm like, Jeremy, I need your help. He comes by church. He's like trying to figure things out. And he's just like, yeah, it's gone. And I'm like, <laughs> like if the FBI can like pull data out of a, you know, hard drive that was at the bottom of the river. You'd think Jeremy would be able to pull up a Word document that I had 12 hours ago. You know what I'm talking about? But he's not that good, apparently. <laughs> All right. And so he tells me, he's like, hey, three things had to happen for this, for this to happen. And, and I'm like, well, what are they? He's like, well, your computer battery went dead overnight, which it did. Uh, autosave on Microsoft Word had to be turned off, which it was for some reason. And the system that backed up my computer, right, had some errors on it, so it just stopped backing it up, and I did not know. And it was just like, you gotta be kidding me. I'm here on a Saturday, and I spent like two hours trying to find it, you know, and I'm like, you know, and, I'm, and I start questioning God. I'm just like, why? All right, I got two days full, full days worth of work to do on a Saturday afternoon and Saturday evening. And I had a bunch of stuff to do. All that's gone. Like, it's just like, it's just like, why? And this is a message. Like, it's a sermon. Like, this is kind of a God thing. You know what I'm saying? Like, you would think God would, like, bless this thing out of all the things. 
And I'm just like, God, why? Like, I don't understand why you would do this. Like, like it's just, this is just a lot of work. This is not what I want to do. This is not how I want to spend my Saturday doing it. And, and you're just, you know, if God can resurrect a guy from Nain, why can't he resurrect a Word document? It's that type of thing. And I'm just like, like, I'm just like, why? And I'm like, maybe I didn't full-blown question my entire faith like John, okay? Like, I didn't. But I am like, really? You serious? See, it's when something goes wrong in life, that's when most of us question our faith, like John. See, it's interesting here. What do we got? We got two examples for us this morning. You got this first guy. He's a non-Jewish Roman centurion, right? Soldier, he's the enemy. A problem enters his life, and he's got so much faith that it amazes God. Crazy. And then you have this special prophet named John who actually has a personal relationship with Jesus and his faith crumbles when a problem enters his life. See, what's crazy about it, it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter if you know everything about the Bible or if you know nothing about the Bible. It doesn't matter if you are a new Christian, you've only been a Christian for a couple weeks or you've been a Christian for a few decades or maybe even a pastor like me. Every single one of us, we all have the inclination, right, to struggle with our faith. But the good news is that we all have the ability to have great faith. Back to our story. Jesus hears John's doubts, and everybody, the whole crowd, and everybody around, including, including the messengers from John, everybody's just like, how is he going to respond like this? This ain't good. And Jesus replies to the messengers. He says, hey, I want you to go and report to John what you have seen and heard. Which, by the way, is a total Jesus move of an answer. Okay, he doesn't tell them straight up. He just says, I want you to go tell, tell John what you've seen and heard. And he starts listing off some of the stuff that he has done. He says, look, the blind receive the sight. The lame walk. Those with leprosy, there was this like horrible skin disease uh, that people would have. He says, those with leprosy are cleansed and the deaf hear and the dead are raised, which he had just do done in the sweet town name of Nain, all right? And the poor are told the good news. So he starts listing off the stuff that he has done. And what Jesus is doing here, all right, is he is, he's actually quoting the Old Testament. These are the things that the Old Testament that God told the Jewish people in the Old Testament, these are the types of things that the Messiah would be doing. And so here he is, he's saying, hey, John wants to know if I'm the guy? All right, just tell him that I'm doing all the things that the guy is supposed to be doing. He says, tell them, why don't you tell him that? And these, some of these things should be somewhat familiar to us because we've seen some of these things before. If you remember his first sermon a few weeks ago, you guys remember? I'll make sure to let Kevin know that all of you guys remember. All right, let me, let me explain a little bit. Uh, Jesus, if you remember this, Jesus goes back to his hometown called Nazareth. Remember this? Ringing a bell a little bit. All right, and uh, he's kind of like a local hero there. He's viewed as a rabbi. This is like a really, really, really big deal for their town. And one Saturday, Jesus, he heads over to the synagogue and they ask him to teach, which would have been a huge honor for anybody. And so they give Jesus the scroll and Jesus starts reading out of the prophet Isaiah, which is an Old Testament book. And so he starts reading a portion of the prophet Isaiah that is describing the future Messiah. And so some of these things that Isaiah says is preach the good news to the poor, give sight to the blind, set free the oppressed. And Jesus, he reads some of these things, and then he puts the scroll down, and he says, I've done it. That's the end. I'm the Messiah. It was the shortest message 
ever in the history of messages. Some of you guys would have loved it, okay? And uh, then they get mad at him and they try to throw him over a cliff. Remember that story? Okay, all right, good. And so here what Jesus is doing is he's repeating some of those things to John's messengers. He's like, and he's taking these things out of several places in the Old Testament. Well, this is what it says. This is what the Messiah is supposed to be doing. This, 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 this. But here Jesus skips one. One's not in the list. And it's the one that says, set free the oppressed. Now, I don't know this for sure, but my bet is that John realizes that Jesus just so happened to skip one. And I bet this is the one that mattered the most to John. Like, like hey, what, what, what about the setting free the oppressed one? I really like that one. That one sounds really good to me. I could really go for that one. Have you done that one yet? Because I'm ready for you to do that one now. Like that type of thing. It's almost like what Jesus is saying is, is he's saying, yeah, John, I am the Messiah. And no, John, you ain't getting out. And he doesn't get out. In fact, Josephus tells us that when Herod decides to divorce his wife, he decides to divorce his wife quietly. Now, ladies, um, how do you think that's going to go? Not good, okay? When she finds out that her husband is, about, is trying to divorce her quietly for her sister-in-law, right, for his brother's wife, she ain't having it. And so she runs to her daddy, who happens to be an Arab king named King Eratos. And King Eratos and Herod have already had some disputes over the border and some land and stuff. And so he is not happy, especially when he finds out the way that he is treating his daughter. And so King Eratos gathers his entire army and he goes to war against Herod Antipas. And Herod loses big time. All right, he loses big time. In fact, Josephus tells us that so many Jews thought that Herod lost the war because he lost in such a big way that it had to have been punishment from God. That's how big he lost. You know why? Because Herod, just a few months before, had beheaded John the Baptist. All right, and many, views, or many Jews viewed John the Baptist as a prophet. Now, when John hears this message from Jesus... I'm guessing John realizes, <laughs> conveniently, Jesus, you forgot the most important one to me, setting free the oppressed. And it's almost like he realizes that Jesus is saying, that's not my plan for you. By the way, it's a great reminder for us that Jesus never promises us comfortable lives. He never does. I don't know where we get that from. Right? For some reason, we feel like God owes us that or somehow we've earned that. And then when our lives aren't super comfortable and we got some issue going on, then we cry out to God and we're like, this is not fair. Dude, let me just tell you, bro, you don't want fair. You don't want fair. Fair is not to your advantage. See, Jesus gives John this answer and John's messengers leave. And then Jesus turns to the crowd and it's almost like he gives John's eulogy here. Nobody knows that John's about to die, right, at the hands of Herod. But Jesus, it's like he gives a eulogy. He says, um, Jesus, he spoke to the crowds and he says, what did you guys go out into the wilderness to see? And what he's doing is he's talking about John here. He's saying, hey, uh, you, guys, you guys go out to see John? And they're like, yeah, 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 yeah. I saw John. I went out and saw John. Yeah, super interesting guy. He's like, what did you go out to see? Right? A reed swaying in the wind? Now, that's not how anybody would describe John. Right, John, again, this dude, he's eating like bugs and stuff. He's out there. He's a man's man. And they're like, a grass, you know, getting blown in the wind. That's not how I would describe John. And uh, everybody's like, is this a trick question? I don't know. No, I don't think so. And he's like, okay, then what did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothes? And they're like, 
Again, I, that's not how I would describe John. Remember, we know what John wore. He wore like camel skin, and uh, which wasn't, you know, that, wasn't cool. that wouldn't be cool today. It definitely wasn't cool back then either. And he wore a big leather belt. And they're like, no, soft, that's not really soft clothes. He's like, then what, did you go out to see a prophet? And they're like, yeah, yeah, that's it, bingo. We went out to see a prophet. He says, yeah, I tell you, and he was more than a prophet meaning he's a special prophet. He says, this is the one about whom it was written, and he's quoting, now he's gonna quote Malachi from the Old Testament. He says, this is the one God told you. He says, see, I'm sending my messenger ahead of you, and he will prepare your way before you. He says, I tell you that among those born of women, nobody is greater than John. And so what Jesus is saying here, right, is he's saying, hey, John's not just your average prophet. He was the prophet. He was a special prophet. He was one that the Old Testament had promised. See, the Old Testament not just promised the, the future Messiah that was going to fix the sin problem. The Old Testament actually promised two guys were going to come. And right before the Messiah comes, God promises that he's going to send a prophet who's going to kind of be the warm-up act. He's going to get everybody ready. And here's Jesus. He's saying, hey, that's the guy. John was that guy. And so because of that, he's the greatest prophet to have ever had lived because he plays a part in my story, which is crazy to think about because here, even the greatest prophet struggled with faith. And then Jesus says, but the least in the kingdom of God is actually greater than he. And to this, everybody's just like, what? See, Jesus is saying, John is great. But I'm here to start something greater. This thing called the church. It's something that the world has never seen before. It's something that no one has ever dreamt of before. In fact, the Old, Test Old Testament prophets, the Bible tells us, long to see our day. Long to see the day that the church would be here. And, uh, and, and what was cool about it is that we have something that John doesn't. Like we have an advantage over the greatest prophet who ever lived. And that's that when we make a decision to give our life to Jesus or when we surrender our lives to him, which not everybody in this room has done before, the Bible tells us that God actually moves into our life. And that's something that John didn't get to experience. See, when God moves in, when we begin that relationship with God, the, the, the Bible tells us that God starts chipping away at us. And it's not always easy and sometimes it hurts. But he strengthens our faith and he invites us to trust him. See, for me, what I've realized in my life is that the more I grow in my relationship with Jesus, the less I doubt. And the easier it is for me to trust him and the easier it is for me to have faith in him. In fact, that's the reason why Luke's writing, right? We saw this right at the beginning. Luke tells us, he says, I am writing this account. I'm, I'm documenting all this for you so that you may know the certainty of the things about which you have been instructed. He says, I'm writing this down so that you may have faith, so that you may know that this stuff is actually real, so that you will know that this stuff actually happened. You can put 100% of your trust in Jesus. See, I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what your deal is. All right, maybe you've been struggling with faith recently. All right, maybe for you, maybe you walked away from faith a long time ago. This is what we know. We know that 2,000 years ago, a Greek doctor named Luke searched and searched and searched for answers. And he tracked down the people who actually got to experience Jesus. And then he wrote it all down so that you can have faith. Not faith that's built on rumors or faith that's built on guesses, but faith that's built on real evidence. And it wasn't just Luke, by the way. 
right? A young guy named Mark, he, took, he wrote down a lot of the things that he saw and the things that he heard. Right? He wrote down his own account of Jesus' life. And a traitor tax collector named Matthew, who actually palled around with Jesus a lot, he wrote down his account of Jesus' life. And an unskilled laborer who witnessed Jesus with his own eyes, a guy named John, a different John, he wrote down his account of Jesus' life. Even a Roman historian named Josephus, who was not a Jesus follower, but couldn't deny what happened. See, it's something that you could build your trust on, something you could build your, your hope on, something you could build your faith on. See, our faith is anchored to real events that actually took place. And God did that so that we could have unwavering faith, so that we can have confidence that God's in control, even when it feels like God's, even when it feels like our life is out of control. Let's pray. God, we thank you for these words. And we thank you for telling us what happened. God, you are so good to us. Lord, we ask that if there's anybody in this room that is struggling with faith, maybe even struggling with recently, maybe walked away from faith a long time ago. Lord, we ask that you would help them find you. Help build their faith. Help them realize that their faith is not built just on guesses, that their faith is built on anchored to real life events, things that actually took place to witnesses that saw this stuff happen. And God, we ask that for all of us in here that we would have great faith in you because life's not always perfect. You don't owe us that. But you do care. And you are there for us. Lord, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.